The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. I'm Maura Ahrens-Mealy, and this is The Anxious Achiever. We look at stories from business leaders who have dealt with anxiety, depression, or other mental health challenges, how they fell down, how they picked themselves up, and how they hope workplaces can change in the future. I don't know about you, but I will go to great lengths to avoid conflict at work. Like the time when I was scared of my boss for months. I was so convinced I was doing a bad job. And so I physically avoided him, ducking around corners or hiding in the bathroom like some stupid French farce. As if the moment our eyes met over the water cooler, he was going to launch into a critique of me and everything about me. I've accidentally deleted emails that scare me. I've even quit jobs rather than working through conflict. When I'm forced into a difficult conversation I can't hide from, it consumes me and becomes very personal. It's really hard to shut out the bad feelings and they take over so that I'll lose a whole day fearing a difficult conversation. I think like a lot of anxious achievers, I fear conflict mostly because I fear shame. It never occurs to me that a conflict is about another person us as a unit working together, or even based on a systemic issue. No, it's always about me. I'm the bad girl. I'm bad at my job. I did it wrong. I seem to regress about three decades. And so I have two go-to reactions, and both of them are sort of immature, and I don't think either of them serves me very well. I might blow up and start to throw bombs, as a couples therapist once put it, or I go silent and I retreat. But the thing is, conflict is a part of life. It's healthy and it's necessary. And you can't lead if you can't handle it. It never occurred to me that conflict is a skill, something to practice. And that maybe my anxious, depressive disposition might make it extra hard for me to engage in healthy conflicts. Like every negotiation or interaction at work, it's good to develop these skills and plan around a difficult conversation or a conflict so that you're more likely to get the outcome you want, but you can protect yourself and your mental health in the process. So, as I thought personally about better ways I wanted to approach conflict at work, I immediately thought of Amy Gallo, author of the HBR Guide to Dealing with Conflict and the co-host of the great HBR podcast, women at work. Here's my conversation with Amy, where we learn more about why conflict is so hard and what we can do about it. Hi, Amy Gallo. Hi, Maura. It's so nice to hear you, see you, be with you. Well, same. I'm going to ask you a question that I actually, um, I don't think even though we know each other that I know the answer to, which is that you are um, an expert on managing conflict in the workplace and difficult conversations. How? Why? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. w- what started this journey for you? Oh, gosh. I, I mean, if I really think about it, it started with having 
divorced parents and having <laughs> to sort of navigate, you know, having two households and being with people who didn't, being the daughter of two people who didn't speak to each other. And I think from an early age, I was really interested in how people handled contentious interactions. And then, you know, fast forward to my early career, I was a management consultant. I worked for a firm that focused on strategy and organization. The most fascinating part of that job for me, and while my colleagues were very interested in like, what's the best strategy for this organization? You know, let's create a really fascinating deck for them. You know, I was really intrigued on what happened in the meetings. So mm. what was being said? What wasn't being said? How could you bring up issues that were were going, you know, unspoken so that people could talk about them. And honestly, the more contentious things got, I thought the more interesting. Because for me, that was where the work was actually happening. The work of sorting through what is it we need to do? How are we going to interact with one another? You know, how are we, um, how are we going to push forward whatever it is we're trying to push forward, the strategy, initiative, project, uh, to me, it's really about how people interact that makes anything happen. And conflict's a part of that. So you weren't scared of conflict, it sounds like. Um, no, certainly not in the job as a consultant, partly because it didn't seem, you know, as a consultant, you're, you're outside, right. you're, you're, you know, outside looking in. And so it never seemed personal to me. Mm. And you know, I do, of course, as all, as we all do, feel uncomfortable in the conflicts about me, my relationships, my needs, uh, my future. But in general, I find conflict something that I think we do don't do enough as humans, and <laughs> certainly don't do enough in in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, you know, I I think of it more as an opportunity, I think, than something to be afraid of. I love that framing, a necessary discomfort to sort of progress, to achieving progress. Yes. Yes. Because that's ultimately conflict is something we cannot avoid. And in fact, if we avoided it completely, which many people try to do, mm -hmm. we're not going to get what we need. And we're not going to stay in relation with other people. We're going to, we, we think that by avoiding conflict, we're preserving the harmony between us, the relationship between us and another person. Mm -hmm. And that might be the case some of the time. But ultimately, I think of it as an act of love or respect to say the things that are hard to say, to have the conflict, to surface the different, different opinions that we both hold, and to sort through them together. I think that there's two parts to managing conflict, and you can correct me, because I think most of us may come into preparing for a difficult conversation or a, a structured conflict at work with, with those good intentions, but then we handle it so badly because mm -hmm. our emotions <laughs> get in the way. I speak from experience. <laughs> um, my big thing is that I get, uh, I get flooded with with emotions and really anxious. And so I sort of become a little irrational sometimes in the mm -hmm. middle of a conflict, even though I begin with the best intentions. Is that what your work is, is actually helping people like execute <laughs> the conflict well? Yeah. And I think you're, what you're talking about is completely normal, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're, what's happening physiologically is that you're, and you know this, is that you're 
your prefrontal cortex is being trumped by your amygdala. So you go into what the you know emotional intelligence experts call amygdala hijack. You're just simply not thinking rationally. You're reacting to the situation. So you go in calm and centered. And then as soon as someone, as soon as the, the situation gets tense or someone says something that, that upsets you, then you start reacting. And that is a completely normal thing to do. And and my work, the the writing I do, the frameworks I offer, the tools are really meant to help you stay out of that amygdala hijack so that you can feel more proud of how you respond in those moments and you can hold on to those good intentions or more likely, you can return and come back when you do go into a mental hijack and things go off the rails, which they often do, even for me, even for people who try who do this all the time. <laughs> and But you can come back to it, readdress it, try to come to a different resolution and a different process that feels true to who you are rather than, oh, gosh, I, you know, I lost it. I didn't I didn't stick to what I really intended. I want to pull back and frame this conversation because this is a show for people who feel anxious mm-hmm. and um, people who are anxious, I believe, probably have a maybe a different relationship to conflict because I think as we've just sort of established, conflict is anxiety provoking for most yes. people. Yes. And so if conflict and avoiding conflict and feeling anxious in social situations or, you know, being perfectionistic, whatever is is a struggle for you, then conflict has to have heightened stakes, I would imagine. Yes. And I think if you if you feel anxious about interacting with other people or, you know, if you have some sort of social anxiety, I do think conflict is going to feel particularly difficult. Um, you're already nervous about preserving your relationship with someone or having that interaction or, um, you know, coming up, coming off in a certain way, appearing mm-hmm. a certain way. And so conflict is going to feel like a threat to all of those things. And I can imagine someone, in, you know, very smartly saying, I'm going to avoid conflict because it's a trigger for me. It brings yeah. out my anxiety. It makes me feel incredibly anxious. But I would posit that avoiding conflict is actually probably worse for your anxiety in the long run because, right. because putting it off often means the underlying issue that that needs to be addressed isn't being addressed. There's, there's this concept that um, Leanne Davy, who is a team expert – she talks about conflict debt. So you, as teams, this is really she talks on the team level, teams who don't address business issues that are need to be addressed because it's going to be a difficult conversation, eventually get into debt. And meaning that there's this idea that there's this, you know, tension that's festering, that's get, getting worse over time. And when the further out from the original incident or the original idea that you get, the harder it becomes to address. And I think that's true on an interpersonal level too. So if you and I, you and I have a tough interaction about uh, this project plan we're working on, we don't see eye to eye, and I just ignore the fact that we don't agree. And rather than surfacing that and trying to sort it through, you know, at some point either it's going to become too late because the project plan is going to be set 
or you and I are going to have continue to have these tense interactions where our relationship is going to get worse and worse. And so avoiding that will create more anxiety for me or for you in the long run than actually addressing it at the time. I often think of difficult conversations as short-term discomfort for long-term gain. And the gain is better work product, stronger relationship, even more confidence. I mean, I think one of the things that I've gained from developing skills around conflict resolution, difficult conversations, is I'm not afraid that things are going to go south with someone or that there's going to be some tricky situation that we have to navigate. I have a lot of confidence that I can do that. I have the skills to do that. And it makes navigating the world, it makes navigating my relationships, going to the coffee shop, dealing with colleagues, dealing with difficult colleagues, it just makes it all a little bit easier. And I think that's one of the things, if you struggle with anxiety, to realize is that these skills will really help you with anxiety, not, you know, sort of increase the situations in which you feel anxious. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. A lot of social anxiety, right, theorists believe, is is really about a fear of being shamed, right? Um, mm. Ellen Hendrickson calls it the fear of the reveal, right? That mm. that that if you go into this conversation and it gets contentious and you aren't able to hold your own, you will be found out for the total and complete utter failure that you really are. And you'll no longer be able to fool people into thinking that you're a competent, smart person, right? Yep, yep. I think you're right in that um, that that fear of being shamed, which which I, I can relate to so strongly of of being uh, stepped on in a difficult mm-hmm. conversation, can really drive avoidance. And I'm wondering if you have advice on like working through that. Yeah, I, and I think that you use the word shame, and I think that that is just. It, it, no one wants to feel that. And it might be the shame of being, you know, the reveal. It might be the shame of feeling like you're, you're, you were wrong mm-hmm. or you look stupid or, um, it's you your fault your stuff, right? It's your fault. You made a mistake, right? All of that. So, yeah. So I think that that shame is a, is a huge motivator to avoid. But I think one of the sort of mental shifts I've had to make is that, it's easy to think that there's a winner and a loser. There's someone who's right and someone who's wrong. There's right. someone who's smart and someone who's not. There's someone who's made the mistake and someone who suffered the mistake. And one of the things I really try to do is think about that there's a there's three entities. It's not just you and me, but there's this third entity, which is the question at hand, the business issue we need to solve, the decision that needs to be made. And ultimately, we both want what's best for that. 
And so I may be wrong, but the fact that we made a good decision ultimately means it's a win for everyone. And that helps me sort of skirt that shame. Now, I'm not going to say I don't I completely avoid it. I still might feel it, but I can get through it more quickly if I know that ultimately what what we want is a better decision or even a stronger relationship, like getting through, you know, making a mistake, a difficult conversation, navigating who's going to get their way and who's not, right? Getting through the other side of that shows you and I can have these difficult conversations and we still will keep our relationship intact. And that's incredibly solidifying for a relationship. And anyone who's been through tough times with someone, a friend, a spouse, a business partner, and has come out the other side can recognize that oftentimes we're stronger as a result of that conflict. It's interesting. I'm I'm reminded of two pieces of sort of leadership negotiation theory that feel relevant to me. I'll throw mm. them out and you can react. The first is is the work of Ron Heifetz, right, who mm-hmm. really tries to get teams and groups focused on on the work at the center mm-hmm. <laughs> so that they can tune out a lot of the interpersonal stuff. And I think you're saying also that aligning around the goal that is not necessarily about you or me, but is about us and what mm-hmm. we both care about is important. Yeah. And that also, you know, there's a gender angle. And 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 I know we both know the work of Hannah Riley Bowles, right, um, yes. at Harvard, who has done a lot of work around women in negotiating that shows that women, when they are negotiating, if they make the ask not about themselves, I'm not going to get richer off this, but the team, the someone else is going to benefit, they do better. Um, But 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 I also, as someone who struggles with this have found like, if I can separate my ego and my emotion and make it about the work, the team, the XYZ, it goes better. That's right. And I think that's Hannah Riley Bowles' work around that is is interesting because they do show that it's important for women to do that in order not to suffer the social penalty that women often suffer for being um, assertive or for negotiating on behalf of themselves. But I actually believe, while it's imperative that women do that, it's it would be good for everyone, if, I agree. regardless of your gender, you did that, right? Because it would take this sort of tug of war that often negotiations or difficult conversations become and make them more collaborative. And it would depersonalize the the argument for everyone. So we would all leave with our egos more intact or more comforted. Um, if And then actually, I've heard it, um, what you're talking about with Ron Heifetz, I've heard it, um, like Harvard Negotiation Project calls it like putting yourself on the same side of the table as your as your counterpart. So Rather than seeing yourselves on opposite sides in a, engaged in a battle, you're working together to solve a problem. And the problem, let's be clear, because sometimes the conflict is about your interpersonal relationship. So it's not about who's right and who's wrong, who was inappropriate, who was, you know, who who said what. It's about how do we get our relationship back on track so that we can work together going forward. And I think that's if you constantly see the person as your partner in that and try to enlist them to be your partner in that, it's just going to feel better, definitely for you, especially if you feel anxious, but but also it's going to feel better for that other person and for your relationship. So Amy, let's talk about practicing. Say that um, one of your goals, maybe you're in a new role or you're getting a new job or you just don't want to be scared of conflict anymore. How can you kind of set up a plan to 
practice on low stakes <laughs> conflicts yes. so that maybe you're better prepared when a higher stakes conflict happens. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm practicing this all the time. I practice it when I'm, you know, in the coffee shop and three people jump in front of me in line, right? I'm, I'm practicing this certainly when I'm parenting my 14-year-old. There's lots of opportunities to practice advocating for yourself, being clear about what you believe, um, enlisting the other person and helping you solve the problem. Right? There's so many elements of this that you get to practice every day. And I think you're right that you want to practice in low stakes situations. One of the things I think we often assume is that we should just be good at this. This is just part of interacting with people. Why Why don't I know how to do this? But I, you know, I don't know about you, but no one ever sat me down and was like, here's how you have a good productive fight. You know, these oh. are skills anyone Excuse teaches me. us. Uh, like you, my parents went through many years where they wouldn't speak and they would literally make me and my sister interpret, mm. tell your father to pass the salt at my college graduation. They they sat at opposite sides of the table and weren't speaking. So oh um, even though they came to the dinner for my college graduation, they wouldn't speak. So I I would literally have to like pass the salt. <laughs> yeah, right. So So now your model of conflict is completely ignore it. You know, find someone else to to communicate on your behalf, right? Like that's that's those are that's often what we learn is either completely ignore it, which is for many people the model, or it's going to just be an all out fight, and it's okay to scream, it's okay to say hurt, hurtful things, it's you know, and then and that's that that's not good either. I mean, I I do appreciate that people are raising the issues, but doing it in a way that's that doesn't leave people feeling intact is not a good way to handle conflict either. And so I do think that we need to find, we need to practice and we need to find ways to to try out some of the skills around, you know, staying calm, staying focused, keeping our intentions, um, you know, front and center, you know, trying out different ways of saying things. And I do think you want to not practice this with your new boss right away, right? You don't want to necessarily practice this with an important client first thing. You want to try it out in smaller situations. So it might be in, with a good friend. It might be, um, you know, over where are we going to have dinner, right? They suggest a restaurant that you really don't like. How do you handle that? Um, and with a good friend, it might be really easy. You might just say, I don't want to go there, right? But knowing that you can advocate for yourself and framing these situations that we we negotiate all day long. We're actually having many difficult conversations quite often when we're interacting with people and to think of it that way. I was able to advocate for what I needed. I was able to stay calm even though we didn't see eye to eye. I raised an issue that I wasn't sure how it was going to be received by the other person and it went okay. And then sort of slowly increase the stakes of doing that by doing it with people you don't know as well, perhaps you have a, a more important relationship with, um, in, a, in a relationship that maybe feels less safe. I think that's how you sort of get better over time, just by practicing doing it over and over again. I like that. And it seems to me also that, I mean, no one has the same issues around conflict, right? For for you, your issue might be that you're worried you won't be able to stand up for yourself and you'll feel dumb. For me, it may be that 
I'm greedy and I'm going to not get paid what I think I'm worth because, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, for another person, it might be that they get really nasty and angry and ruin a friendship, (laughs) right? right. Because they blow up. Like, I think, I think part of it is maybe understanding, really pinpointing, like what your specific area of focus almost should be to practice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things what I talk about in my my book is, and it's it's an oversimplification, but I think it's a helpful model is to think about, do you tend to avoid conflict or do you tend to seek it? And obviously mm. there's tons of nuance there. You might not do the same thing in every situation. But when you think about going into that amygdala hijack, when your best intentions go out the window, do you tend to avoid? Are you trying to get out of the conversation or do you lean into it and sort of stir the pot? <laughs> Knowing what your default is can help you Keep that, you know, have some self-awareness and then think about, well, is this really the right way to respond for this situation? Or is it what I just do in a knee-jerk way because this is when I'm triggered, this is how I how I react. Okay. So you have a you have a process mm-hmm. <laughs> for doing conflict better. Yes. Can you talk us through that? Yeah. So this is actually a four-step framework that I think about as before you even have the conversation. So when we think about trying to, you know, you mentioned going in with the best of intentions and then those intentions flying out of the window, you know, trying to, um, you know, really be as make the right choices about how to handle the conflict and to stay and connected to your prefrontal cortex. So you are making rational, thoughtful decisions in that moment. And, you know, the very first thing in, in in this framework is to think about the other person. That's not necessarily going to be what you do, especially if you're in amygdala hijack because we come, become naturally narcissistic. Mm. But you want to think about how do they handle conflict? Um, what's, going, what's at stake for them here? What is it that they care most about? What could be a rational explanation for their behavior? And if that sounds like too other focused, I... It, Ultimately, this is a really selfish step because you're trying to break your own rumination, open yourself to other interpretations of what's going on. It can feel really good to be like, Maura and I are fighting because Maura is passive aggressive and she always has been. And that, that I, that's what I need to address here, right? Just telling myself like such a crisp story. She sucks. <laughs> yes, that casts you at the em- as the enemy and me as the hero. That's really what we will do if left to our own devices. <laughs> so thinking about you, thinking about, okay, if I was in Moore's shoes, how would I see this situation? What might actually be going on for her that I'm not seeing, that I don't understand? What pressures is she under from her boss or from, you know, home life, whatever? Thinking that through opens me up to different stories and different it, it just makes me more able to be collaborative more empathetic more compassionate all of which is not just about the other person it is generous of course to to think that way for them but it's not ultimately about generosity it's about getting yourself in the right mindset and hopefully gathering some information that can help you then once you're in the actual discussion that can help you navigate and propose something, a resolution that will not only meet your needs, but will meet the other person's needs as well. Hmm. So that's step one. Step two is to think about what is it that's actually at stake? What are we actually disagreeing about? Because it can be easy. And this is something I do 
instinctively I have to fight all the time is it's easy to be like, well, this is about a relationship. This is about their our personality clash. We've we've never seen eye to eye on these things. And just to make it really about our dynamic, mm-hmm. which may be a factor, but chances are there's also some underlying business issue. You might be disagreeing about the goal of the project or how to get the project done or who has more status or clout to make this decision. And I think trying to really understand the multiple issues that are at stake and what are the most important to get resolved now. So prioritizing, sort of threading out, here are the four or five issues we disagree on or that have come up in this conversation, and these are the ones that are most important to address. And I would recommend if they're ones that are more straightforward, like the goal of the project, if that can be easily clarified, mm. that can often take, take care of some of the other you know, sort of softer or more relationship-focused conflicts if you can at least get aligned on one thing, like the goal or how we're going to roll this out or when it needs to be completed. Are you, are you literally saying that with your partner? Like, let's just align on the goal here? Or how, how do you introduce yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, I think once you think, part of the reason you want to know, be clear about what you're disagreeing about is that you can, so that when you sit down, you can say, I think what's really at issue here are three things right? And lay them out. We, we're not seeing eye to eye in the goal. The conversation has gotten a little tense between us, which I regret. And we're both under pressure from our boss. And so we've got this communication issue that we need to get back to our bosses about where we're, you know, where this is going. Let's start with a goal. Because I think we need to, that, that'll really help us get aligned. Do you agree? Right? You, and again, this is collaborative. You're not delivering a monologue. You're engaging them in conversation because they may have three other things that that they think you're, the disagreement is about. And so you want to give space to hear those as well. And then the third step is to think about what is it you actually need? What is your goal in this situation? And and your goal, this is the, when I'm in a rush and I can't do all four steps, this is the one I never skip because I think it really will drive how you decide to handle the conflict, how you will behave in, in the conversation, um, ultimately, whether you decide to let this go or dig in and you want to figure out what is your primary goal, you might have multiple goals. Again, I want to look good to my boss. I want to preserve my relationship with this person. I need this project to get done by Tuesday or else we're going to lose the client. Right. There might be multiple things. But what's your primary goal? And if that goal can overlap with the other person's goal, even better. Right. That that way you have a, a shared objective that you can rally around. So in the conversation, that might sound like, I know we both care about getting this project done by Tuesday. I know that's really what we both want. So in order to do that, here's here's what we need to do. Or what do you think we need to get done between now and Tuesday to make that happen? But that gives you, again, the, getting that person on the same side of the table gives you sort of a collaborative feel rather than we just don't see eye to eye at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and helps guide you. It sort of gives you a north star for the conversation rather than getting dragged into all of the other stuff that's likely going to go on in the conversation. You can stay focused. Okay, my goal is to get this done by Tuesday. My Or my goal is to preserve my relationship with this person because mm-hmm. it's my boss and mm-hmm. I don't want to have this contentious relationship going forward. So what matters most is that is that relationship. And then the fourth step is to decide what to do. So think about what you know about the other person, right? Think about what you're actually disagreeing about and what your goal is and decide, okay, are we going to sit down and hash this out? Are we going to lay it all on the table? 
Am I going to enlist a third party who we both trust who can help us sort this through? Am I going to just let it go? Right? Am I going to do nothing? Which is a perfectly good option. I think for the avoiders out there, this cannot be the thing you do all the time. But sometimes you do just let it go. It was, it was a one-off uh, you know, negative interaction that you think isn't going to be a pattern. Or you know the person is really incapable of a rational conversation. It's just going to blow up or shut down. Right? You may decide to, to let it go, assuming you can still meet your goal uh, without having to, to address it. And, and you may just decide, I mean, this is extreme, but there is always the option, assuming you've tried multiple things, to just exit the relationship. That's not always possible in a, in a work context. But if this is a situation that is causing you, causing damage to your well-being over and over and over, you have to ask yourself, how long am I willing to stick with this conflict with it at, you know, when, when it's not getting resolved? Are there levels of also just sort of like, all right, we're in conflict. We agree to disagree, but we're still going to have to work together. I mean, is there is there a middle ground there that is ever worth exploring? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, well, there's, we agree to disagree is not a phrase I love, partly because I think oftentimes it's used as an excuse to not actually sort through the issues, to yeah. like avoid the conversation. When you're genuinely hashing it out, you don't see eye to eye, and you don't agree Agreeing to disagree when you both can still meet your goals, I think is a perfectly fine thing to do. And sometimes there's compromise. Sometimes it's like, okay, you know what? You're going to get your way this time, but I need a guarantee that next time this issue comes up, we're going to go with my my perspective or my you know choice in terms of, of um, how to proceed. Or it might be, you know what? Let's just meet halfway. You know, I mean, this oftentimes it's just a sort of transactional like, okay. I obviously think this is the right thing. You think that's the right thing. What can we come up with that we can both live with? Neither of us can be thrilled, but can we live with it? And and I think that's fine. And sometimes we do have to, especially when it when there's a, a complex conflict where you might be disagreeing about the goal of the project and how to do it, and you're mistreating each other, you know, disrespecting one another, you might have to let that disrespect go. That's often the hardest thing. Those relationship conflicts, the interpersonal conflicts can often be the hardest thing to to address. So sometimes you might choose like, okay, I did not love the way he spoke to me in that email or the way he addressed me in front of the group. But for now, I'm going to let that go. If it becomes a pattern, I'm going to have to dig into it. But for now, at least we're going to be able to get the project done. We're going to be able to communicate to our bosses, all of that. And, and we can move on. So there's constant sort of give and take that happens in, in these interactions. My last question is, what if a conflict goes badly and you <laughs> are seized by shame, embarrassment, you're disappointed in yourself, you're enraged, <laughs> mm -hmm. and you can't sleep and you ruminate, right? Like. Yeah. This is this is a real thing, especially if you're a very sensitive person. It's hard, it's hard to shake it off and go about your day sometimes when things get heated. Yes, absolutely. And then you may want to write an email. You may your 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 instinct may be to try to. Oh my gosh, I'm going to make it better. I'm going to make it better. I, I'm just going to write an. You know, you may sort of rush into impulsivity or catastrophizing all the things. Yes. First of all, I think the one first thing to know is you are not 
alone. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I talk to, myself included, that are like have the 3 a.m., you know, anxiety carousel that we're like, okay, what am I worried about? Oh, that interaction, that went horrible, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I, you know, I don't, I don't personally get out of bed at 3 a.m. and write the email, although I compose it in my head. Like, what? I, <laughs> oh, this is what I should have said. This is what I should have. Luckily, there's something about my brain where when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, wow, that was not clear thinking. Let me actually compose an entirely different email or let me just move on. But I think when you get into that rumination, I mean, you have to use all the skills you use to manage your anxiety, right? Like perspective taking. I mean, it's one of my mo- one of my favorite tips around, especially the rumination post a conflict is, will I care about this in a week? Mm. Will I care about this in a month? Will I even remember this in five years? <laughs> because the conflict can feel so urgent and present in that moment. But trying to look at it in the long view, sometimes you realize, wow, this is not going to be what I remember about this week. Um, you know, talking to someone else outside the conflict, explaining what happened, trying to sort of normalize People interact sometimes in in not always nice ways, and they survive and they move on, and that's okay. And we all make mistakes, right? I have, I have had many, many difficult conversations where I did a redo, right? Where I, I either blew up in the conversation, I said things I didn't mean, or I clammed up and didn't advocate for myself, and I had to say, okay, you know what? I want to go back. I'm not that conversation didn't reach the conclusion I hoped it would. And I'm not going back immediately. I'm not going back at the next morning. But if I give myself a few days and it's still top of mind for me, I will come back and say, you know what, can we readdress that? I actually am not happy with where it ended up or I don't, I'm not happy with how I behaved in that conversation. I'd love to, to talk about it. Um, that's not easy to do. But I do think that having that do-over can be incredibly helpful because we're not always going to be our best selves in these conversations for all of the, you know, physiological reasons we <laughs> talked about. Like, we are going to to make mistakes, but it's okay to come back and have the conversation again. And chances are the other person is doing some reevaluation as well. And hopefully it's, a, it's an easier conversation the next time. The last thing I will say is that, you know, a therapist once told me when I was sort of in this um, rumination space around a particular issue with a with a friend was, you know, when you have an idea that you think will solve it, write it down and then put it away for 24 hours and then come back. So mm. rather than sending the text, sending the email, thinking you're going to address it right away, like give yourself 24 hours. It's sort of a version of the sleep on it advice, but really come back to it later and say, is this actually the, the right thing for the relationship? And I think bringing in other people, because it's easy to get stuck in your own head but talk to the friend, talk to your partner, you know, talk to people outside the situation who can give you some perspective and who are, who are willing to sort of be very straight with you about what they think will work and what won't. <sighs> well, as we wrap here, the rain is pouring down. And I, I always love to think of heavy storms, almost like a reset. Mm. <sighs> Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you, more. It's always fun talking with you. That's it for today's show. Thank you to my producer, Mary Dew. Thanks to the team at HBR. I'm grateful to our guests for sharing their experiences and truths. For you, our listeners, who ask me to cover certain items and keep the feedback coming, please do send me feedback. You can email me 
You can uh, leave a message on LinkedIn for me or tweet me at Mora AM. And if you love the show, tell your friends, subscribe and leave a review. From HBR Presents, this is Mora Aaron's Mealy.